theyeshiva.net. Welcome, everybody. Today's class is dedicated by uh, my in-laws, Rabbi Yitzchak and Rachel Shlomo, in honor of the yard site of my, uh, our grandfather, my wife's grandfather, my mother-in-law's father, <laughs> Jesse Cohen, Rabbi Yosef Yeshayahu ben Rabbi Yaakov Leib, Tehei Nishma Seitzruda, Betzer HaChayim, and remain an eternal source of inspiration. And thank you very, very much. Also dedicated in honor of my son's birthday yesterday, Menachem Mendel ben Esther Avigail, for a tremendous year of Hatzlacha and everything, with all the love and blessings. I want to explore with you today one of those uh, very enigmatic and obviously multi-layered stories that saturate the whole Tanakh, including Parshas Baloischa. But this is the Parshas Baloischa is a, is a portion that's filled with story after story after story. One more fascinating, engaging, and challenging than the other. But certainly the final story, I don't want to say takes the cake, but certainly really uh, challenges us in many ways and invites us always to uh, go deeper and look deeper into the text and try to unravel more profound layers of meaning. The famous expression of Chazal, Shivim Panam L'Torah, the Torah has 70 faces. It's a very interesting way of saying, you know, you say this, 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 this piece of art has 70 faces, this person has 70 faces. It's not always a compliment, you know, you have so many faces. Two-faced is not a compliment. Seventy-faced is probably not a, certainly not a compliment. But here it means exactly the opposite. Shivim Panam L'Torah means... There's so many faces and they're all authentic. There's so many different layers, different perspectives and different meanings and they all ultimately are integrated and cohesive. They're not just diverse and fragmented. And certainly this story, we can uh, see it throughout the story. So let's remember the context. It's the end of Parshas Baloischa. It's uh, the 12th chapter of, uh, of Bamidbar, Perik Bamidbar, Sefer Bamidbar Perikid Beis, the 12th chapter of, of Numbers. And the Torah opens up uh, the chapter with a very mysterious Pasuk. And the Pasuk reads, Vatadaber Miriam Va'aren B'Mosheh. Aaron and Miriam speak about Moshe. What? What about? <laughs> what he had for breakfast? What did they speak about him? They talk about the woman who we married. And she's called an Isha Kushis. What does an Isha Kushis mean? Kushis could mean dark, dark complexion. Kushis could mean from a place called Kush, right? Which is associated often with Ethiopia or that region of Africa. We have in the beginning of Megillah about Achashverish, Rahibi Achashverish, Hu Achashverish Hamoylech Mehoidu, Viad Kush. So what does Kushis mean? And the commentators. Everyone has a different opinion what the word kushis means. Rashi famously, Rashi, Rashi famously says, Shahakal moidim biyafya, Keshem shahakal moidim b'shachruse shal kushi. You know, usually you say that beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. In Hebrew, they have a slang, an expression, altam vereach en lihitvakeach. There's no point in debating taste and smell. Beauty. Different people have different perspectives. Rashi says, but sometimes there are exceptions. <laughs> Nobody's going to debate that if I have dark skin, I have dark skin. If I have white skin, some things are just, it's dark skin. <laughs> the dark skin. 
right? There's a black person, an African American. It's just it's very obvious. It actually says her beauty had that level of. Uh, of obviousness, of certainty. Very interesting interpretation. And then Rashi, of course, famously brings that kushis begematria yefas mara. The word kushis numeral, in numerical value is the same numerical value as the words yefas mara. So they're talking about his, his marriage. What? It doesn't say in Chumash. What, what, the, what did they say? It just says kiisha kushis lakach because Moshe married her. And here again, the Torah obviously does not want to explicitly say what they said about this marriage, what they said about her. A few years ago, if you remember, we gave a class based on the Balei HaToysvis. It was a very interesting conversation that they basically wanted he should divorce her because they felt a sepasnisht. You know, Moshe was a nomad, a shepherd. He was a fugitive. He ran away from Egypt. He had no life, right? He was barely Jewish because he didn't grow up among Jews. So fine, he could marry a Midianite woman. But now, <laughs> now for Yichas purposes... Sepasnish, they wanted that, uh, this is one interpretation. It's not Rashi's interpretation. And Moshe said, absolutely not. She's my wife. Rashi's interpretation is actually very different. But there are so many different interpretations. Rashi's interpretation is that Moshe separated from her. And Miriam was very upset about it. She found out that Moshe was separated from his wife. And even if it was with her consent, Miriam was very upset. So that's what she spoke about. But it doesn't say clearly in Chumash what she said, which is obviously very interesting, that the Torah is completely silent about the nature of the conversation. It does say that Miriam told Aaron, Moshe is not the only prophet. We're also prophets. Hashem also spoke to Aaron, spoke to Miriam. They were both prophets. And the Torah continues that Moshe was the humblest person who ever existed, which is also interesting how that comes in here, that Moshe was the humblest person who ever existed. And what happens the next moment is, Hashem calls Moshe and Aaron and Miriam to the Mishkan. He summons those three, they're all prophets, and they're siblings, and he summons them. And Moshe is there with his brother and his sister, and Hashem calls out Aaron and Miriam, and then he says the famous words about Moshe Rabbeinu, those extraordinary, incredible words. And he speaks to Miriam and Aaron, and he says, Shimu Nadvare, I want you to please listen to my words, which is a very interesting way of God opening a conversation. You would think that if Hashem is speaking to somebody, they're listening, right? <laughs> He's only speaking to two people. But Hashem opens up the conversation and says, Shimu Nadvare, please listen to my words. In other words, you would think Aaron was anyway interested in what God has to say, especially if it's directly to him. You don't even have to be an Aaron and a Miriam to be interested. If Hashem reveals himself to you and says, I want to have a conversation with you, you're probably interested. But he says, no, I need you to listen. So obviously he's sharing something that needs this extra attentiveness. And he starts telling them about who Moshe Rabbeinu is. Even though Aaron was older and Miriam was older, they grew up. I mean, they, I can't say they grew up with him because he, you know, he, his residence was in, in, uh, in Pare's palace. But still, their mother nursed him. You know, obviously they knew who Moshe was. And for three months he was in the house. Miriam was six years old. And uh, Aaron was three years old. You know, they knew who he was. So usually you feel like you know your sibling, right? In a way... In a way, siblings know each other better than anybody in the world. Because even when you're married to somebody for many years, but they don't know your parents as well as your sibling knows your parents. They didn't grow up in the same kitchen, <laughs> in the same dining room. You know, the, the genes of a family, the, idio, in, the idiosyncrasies of a family. Did I say that correctly? Siblings just, you know something about your sibling that nobody else does. Your sister, your brother, from Innovenik, from Innovenik. You know, your spouse, you have to learn. And 
You have to discover, and 20 years later, you're still learning new things. Your siblings, you also have to learn about your siblings, but it's a different level of awareness. So you can understand Aaron and Miriam felt that they knew Moshe quite well because they knew their mother, they knew their father. They shared the same, you know, the same genetics. But nonetheless, Hashem says that there's something completely unique about Moshe Rabbeinu. You are prophets, but I speak to you in a dream. You have visions, but Moshe is different. Moshe. He is believed, he's trusted in my entire house. I speak to Moshe face to face, not in riddles, in absolute clarity. Moshe is the one who gazes, who sees the divine. How could you not have reverence when you speak about Moshe Rabbeinu? Hashem is upset. And the next thing we know is Miriam is a Mitzayra. Miriam becomes a leper. There are white patches of skin, kasholag, on her skin, on her epidermis, like, like snow. And uh, that's when Moshe, who sees what happened, screams out to Hashem. Vayitzak Moshe Hashem. Not many times in Chumash does it say he screams out, he cries out to Hashem. And he prays for Miriam. And the prayer is the shortest prayer in the whole of Tanakh. The prayer consists of five words. Vayitzak Moshe Ladenoi Leimer. El na refa na la. Please, Hashem, heal her. Bring healing to her. That's where Moshe suddenly becomes active in this story. All he asks is Hashem, five words. Kale na refa na la. What happens next? So the next pasuk, and you could see it on your source sheets. Vayomer Hashem al Moshe. Hashem tells Moshe, I have a question. Vaaviha. Her father, Miriam's father, Yorak Yorak Bifanah. This is not an easy pasuk to understand. I'm just telling you in advance. So if you're like, what? Good. <laughs> you know, don't like think, don't feel that uh, you're missing something if you don't understand, because this is a very difficult pasuk. Moshe asked Hashem to heal her. He might say, sure. He might say, soon. Whatever, that's what we're expecting. But he says something else. He says, Va'avia, her father. It's, of course, also your father. <laughs> Miriam and Moshe had the same father. <laughs> it says clearly in Chumash. But he says, her father, Yorak, Yorak Bifanah. If he would have spit in her face, meaning in front of her face, he would have spit. shivas She would have, uh, uh, how do they translate that? Uh, Not in prison. She would have uh, been uh, uh, rejected or embarrassed or rebuked for seven days. The impact would last seven days. From such, a, from such an act of her father. <clears throat> Therefore, So now too, let her be quarantined for seven days. If her father would have spit, it, the impact would have been seven days she would have felt remote or removed, so to speak, emotionally quarantined. So let her do that. Let her quarantine for seven days outside of the camp, and then she will come in. That's his response to Moshe Rabbeinu. That's what Miriam did. She was quarantined, confined, outside of the camp for seven days. And the entire nation did not travel anywhere until those seven days were finished, and Miriam came back, she came out of quarantine. It's a good pasuk to learn after corona, isn't it? <laughs> the, the nation did not travel until Miriam came back in and everything was back to normal. 
And then the Torah continues, and after that they traveled from a place called Chatseris, where all this happened, and they went to another place in the desert called Midbar Paran, and that's the conclusion of Parshas Baloischa, which then leads to Parsha Shlach, which begins the new story with the spies, Moshe Rabbeinu sending 12 scouts to scout the land. Now when we look at the story, before we get into the details of the story, just the response of Hashem is very difficult to understand. Moshe asked Hashem to heal her. He could have said, okay, let her be quarantined for seven days. In fact, we already learned Parshas Tazriah and Parshas Mitzrayah, and there the halacha is that when somebody is diagnosed with a tsaras, today we call it leprosy. I'm a little awkward, I'm a little uh, hesitant to use that translation because leprosy is a modern, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an English term that we use, but it's not exactly what tsaras is. It's just the closest we get to describe, I guess, a skin disconfiguration, so we call it leprosy. But there were certain identifiable symptoms that made somebody a mitzayra, a leper, whether male or female, and the kayan had to identify it. And the, and the mitzayra, as long as they had those symptoms, was quarantined. As the Torah says in Parshas Tazriah, I mean, obviously they had to get whatever they needed. They had a tent and a place to live and food and drinks. But essentially the person was quarantined from the camp it was a time of introspection. It was a time, uh, I guess, by Corona, everybody went home and you had to spend some time with yourself and spend some time with, spend some time with your inner conscience and not run around everywhere. And uh, the Mitzvah had that time for personal introspection. And then when the symptoms were gone, the Kayan would come out and the Mitzvah would come back in and everything was back to normal. So here, the Rabbi Shalom says it's seven days. And after seven days, Miriam comes back. I understand but what's this introduction? If her father would have spat in her face, spat, that's how you say it, spat, right? If her father would have spat, she would have felt rejected seven days. Therefore, what, what's the therefore? That her father, her father wasn't even alive. Her father has passed away long ago. Miriam at this point, when Moshe Rabbeinu took the Jewish people out of Egypt, he was 80. Miriam was six years older than him. This is a year later. This is a year plus after the anniversary of the Exodus of Egypt. So Miriam is 87 years old, approximately. Their father wasn't, Amram wasn't alive anymore. So if her father would spit, so therefore, did her father spit in her face? God made her a leper. She had saras. So you could say, this is what she should do. I wanted to be quarantined seven days. What is this? It's like a kalvachimer. Rashi is disturbed by this. And Rashi says, that Hashem was making what's called in, 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 in learning, it's called a Kalvachimer. He says, if her father, actually he says, says, if her father would have shown her, Panim Zoyafais is a, uh, a stern face, he doesn't translate it as spitting. He says, if her father would have shown her a stern face, she would have been, she would have felt rejected seven days. So if the Shechina is upset with her, it should be 14 days. If a father, if a biological father is seven days, the ultimate father of Venus should be 14 days. But when you learn something out from something else, you don't add. So therefore, we're going to keep it seven days. Let it be seven days. And uh, 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 as a result of my nazifa, my being upset, and then she'll, and then, and then she'll come back. But what, what's the point of this whole, this whole kalvachaymer, this whole introduction, and so forth? <laughs> Just to mention that in parentheses, this is an idea from the Magad of Mezrich, and he says that there's 13 methods with which we interpret Torah. We say every morning, 
before davening, Rabbi Shmuel Oimer, remember, Bishloish Esri Midos, Hatayra Nidreshes Behem. Moshe Rabbeinu gave the Jewish people from Hashem 13 principles, methodologies, formulas through which our sages over the generations can learn and interpret Torah and deduce new laws. The first one is Kalvachaymer. Those six, 13, 13 methods of interpretation correspond to the 13 attributes of compassion. They correspond to each other. And the Shalosh says they also correspond to the 13 animamans, the 13, 13 cardinal principles of faith. You need know, a separate sheer how they correspond. It's a very fascinating conversation. In fact, the Noyem Ali Melech, the Rebbe Rebbe Melech of Lezhensk says, Bishloish Esri Midas HaToyrin Nidreshaz Ben means only when a person cultivates in their life the 13 Midas, the Yudgim Midas HaRachimim, then HaToyrin Nidreshaz. Then the Torah allows itself to be interpreted by them. Only with my own Shloish Esri Midas, when I cultivate my 13 Midas HaRachimim, HaToyrin Nidreshaz, such a person becomes a conduit to truly reveal the, the meaning of Torah. The first name of the 13 attributes of compassion, we have Yudgim and Tzirachim. So you have Hashem, Hashem is the introduction. And then you have Kel, Rachom, V'chanon, Erech, Hapayim, Rav, Chesed, Vemes, Noitzel, Chesed, Lof, Noitzel, The first one is Kel. Kel. That's the name that Moshe uses here. Vayoymer, Yitzhak, Moshe, Lashem, Vayoymer, Kel, Norifon, Allah. Kel, Aleph, Lamed. That corresponds to Kalvachaymer. Kalvachaymer is the first one of the 13 principles. So that's why Hashem makes this Kalvachaymer here to draw down that level of Kel. The Kalvachaymer is, if her father would have been seven days, for sure the Shekhinah for 14 days. Okay, that's in parentheses. Very interesting interpretation. But we really have to understand how does this really come and what does it add to it? We know this Sheish Schiris. There are six remembrances. In fact, many communities have a custom that they say it every day after davening. Six things that we remember every day. Because the Torah says we should always remember them. The first thing is Lamantis Kesem says Chameretz Mitzrayim. We remember Yitzis Mitzrayim. The second thing is Maimed Har Sinai. What happened in Har Sinai? That's the second thing. <clears throat> and this is one of them. Yeah, this is one of them. So you have Lamantis Kesem says Chameretz. You have Rakish Shamer Lecha. You have the Chete Egel. You have what's the last? What's the second to the last one? Last one is Shabbos. The second Zocher Eis. You should remember what Hashem did to Miriam on the way out of Egypt. Now the question is, why is that something I should remember every single day? I understand the exodus of Egypt is the foundation of the Jewish people. Maimed Har Sinai is the essence of the Jewish experience and story. I understand Shabbos, the story of creation, the idea that there's a purpose to creation, that there is a pause in creation. We all have to pause. Why Miriam? So naturally, the explanation is because Miriam spoke negatively about Moshe Rabbeinu, something about his marriage. And because of that, she was penalized with tsaras, because one of the greatest reasons for leprosy is Lashon Hara, gossip, slander. So we should remember that every day. So the question is, he could have said, Zohar, you should remember not to speak Lashon Hara. Why pick on Miriam? There's a lot of the other people who became lepers. Moshe Rabbeinu himself. Moshe Rabbeinu himself in Parsha Shmois. His hand became white like a leper. And Rashi says that because he spoke negatively about the Jewish people, he said, they're not going to believe me. Nobody's going to believe me. They're all going to doubt me. And what happened? He took out his hand and it was Mitzaras. Why pick on Miriam? 
In Tanakh, you have, there were kings who became lepers. You have a whole story with Gechazi and his children, Arbas Mitzrayim, the Aftar of Tazriya Mitzrayim. Zohar, you can remember, remember not to speak Lashon Hara. Zohar is Hashem Miriam. Remember what Hashem did to Miriam. It was one leper in all of history, and that's what we have to remember. It's difficult to understand. Okay, so we'll come back to this, Bezer Hashem. In order to understand all of this, at least one layer of it, one perspective of it, we need to really appreciate, from Rashi's perspective, what was Miriam upset about? Miriam was upset about that Moshe Rabbeinu, she found out that Moshe Rabbeinu was separated from his wife. Now when we say separated, it doesn't mean that Moshe Rabbeinu was living in a different house, because then Miriam would have known about it. Separated means that even though they were officially married, but nonetheless, there was some separation between them. Now, it may have been with the consent of Tzipporah. But what happened was, Miriam didn't, Tzipporah didn't come to complain to Miriam. The way Rashi describes it, another Mepharshim is, that when Miriam heard that there are two new prophets, Elder and Medat, at the end of Baalaischa, she sighed and she said, I feel bad for their wives. And that's when Miriam found out. So she went to Aaron to speak about what happened. So at the first glance, it seems like just Miriam was just upset about something connected to Moshe's marriage that he separated from her on some level. And therefore, even though they were together in one house, but Moshe Rabbeinu was separate, and therefore Miriam was upset. And Hashem got upset at Miriam. Why was he upset? So he explains, because Moshe Rabbeinu is of a different magnitude, that Moshe Rabbeinu's separation came from me. And the reason is, as Chazal explained, and the Rambam explains this at length, that Moshe Rabbeinu, due to his level of his prophecy, was to be ready 24 hours a day for prophecy, and therefore he's in a different state. No other prophet in history before that or afterwards was like Moshe Rabbeinu. What was it that Miriam made Miriam speak about this? Is this connected especially to Miriam? Is it just that Miriam was a good sister-in-law? Is it just that Miriam was an older sister who felt responsible for Moshe, even though he was 81 years old? He wasn't a baby. Because when there were two prophets that became prophets, Elder and Medat, and Miriam, Tzipporah expressed herself, Moshe's wife expressed herself, that she feels bad for them. So Miriam, Miriam discovered this disconnect. That's, that's what Chazal explained. It's one interpretation. The Torah doesn't say clearly. Again, the Torah doesn't say clearly what Miriam said. Let's go back and see a little bit, see more, understand more of Miriam's connection to all of this. If you look at your second source, it's from a Gemara Saita Dafyud Bezamad Aleph, Tractate Saita, page 12. We go back now to the beginning of everything, Parsha Shmois. It says, A man from the house of Levi went and he married a daughter of Levi. This happened to be Amram, who married Yochevet, and they had three children, Miriam, Aaron, and Moshe. Asks the Gemara, where did he go? <laughs> Obviously, you go to your wedding, but why does that say in Chumash? Where did he go? He went to the hall, where did he go? Amr He followed, he walked on the pathway of his daughter. His daughter created a path, 
She gave advice. She created a vision. And halach batas That's where he went. He followed the footsteps of his daughter. What does that mean? So the Gemara explains. Tana. Amram gadol hadar haya. Amram was considered the leader of the generation. When Paroi said, When Amram saw that Paroi decreed that every male baby should be cast into the Nile, He said, all our toil is, is, is futile. Every child that we give birth to will be killed. So why go through the bother and then the pain and the agony and the suffering? Amram divorced his wife. And he set an example. Everybody divorced their wives. What's the point of being together and then suffering, experiencing the suffering? His daughter spoke up. How old was his daughter? His daughter was five years old. Now listen what she's going to tell him. Talk about the mouth of children. In some ways, you're worse than Parai. <laughs> Sharp girl. Your gzeri, your decree is worse than Parai's. It's more harsh. Why? Parai wants to kill the males. You want to eliminate the females too. You won't allow Jewish girls to be born because everybody's divorced. Number one. Parai can only control supposedly what's happening in this world. But these souls of the children, none of these souls are dying. You're eliminating them completely. Not in Oilam, they're not in Oilam Hazard, they're not in Oilam, they're never born. Next, Paraya Russia, Suffolk Miskemis, it also is Suffolk Enemis Kemis, Atat Sadik, Father Shakespeare's Paraya Russia. He doesn't have the power of eternity. Let's see how long his decree endures. We don't know, but you're a Tzadik. Your decree is going to endure. Nobody will be married. So what did he do? He followed, he followed the advice of his daughter. He went back and he remarried. Everybody remarried. And that's why it says, a man from Beis Levi, he went. Where did he go? He went after his daughter. He followed his daughter. His daughter said, Tati, you go back home. And he listened. He went back home. Sometimes you need a five-year-old daughter to tell you the truth. He went back home and he remarried Yechevet. And what happens? Baby Moshe is born. So let's think about this. How did Moshe come to the world? One person was responsible for it. Of course, his mother and father, they, you know, fulfilled the mission. They implemented it. But it was one person's courage and vision and really powerful words to her father. That changed it not only for Moshe, but for the entire generation. It's not just Moshe. It's not, she doesn't only get credit for Moshe. She gets credit for literally every baby, boy and girl, that was born after that in the entire Egyptian exile. Because everybody followed her father's example. And he was just following her. He was the god Ladar. And then the Gemara continues. That this explains why later they leave Egypt... 80 years later, they leave Egypt and they cross the sea and Moshe sings with all the Jews and it's a beautiful moment. But then the Torah says, afterwards, wait, there's one more scene. What's the next scene? 
Miriam Hanavia Chos Aaron. Miriam, the prophet, the sister of Aaron, takes her, uh, she takes uh, tambourines and she goes out on a dance, Michaelas, the tambourines and the drums, and she asks the women to sing with her. And they sing together, Vatanla, Miriam, Shirul Hashem, Kigai, Gossus, Verech, Veramavayam. The Torah identifies her as Miriam Hanavia, Miriam the prophet, prophet, pro, prophetess, Achois Aaron. Says the Gemara of Eloi Achois Moshe? She's not the sister of Moshe. She was a prophet when Moshe wasn't born yet. She was a prophet before she was six years old. She was a prophet when she was the sister of Aaron. That's why he said, Miriam Hanavia Achois Aaron. Even before Moshe, she was not his sister yet. Because he wasn't born. She was still a Nevia. Why? She used to say, She prophesied, My mother is going to give birth to a child who is going to save the Jewish people. When Moshe was born, indeed, the house was filled with light. Her father stood up and he kissed her on her head. Remember, he is the one who divorced. He is the one who caused everybody to get divorced. His sister, his daughter told him, your, worst, your decree is worse than Para. She convinced him to come back. Now this five-year-old girl is walking around and saying, there's a prophecy. My mother is not just going to give birth, she's going to give birth to the child who's going to save everybody. There's a baby born and the whole house is filled with light. And the father is like, I guess this girl knows what she's talking about, to put it mildly. So how does he say it? He kisses her on her head, which is a sign of tremendous affection. My daughter, your prophecy has been fulfilled. But then the Gemara says the story continues. Three months later, there's no light anymore. There's darkness. Yecheve tells Amram, we can't keep this baby here because if we do, he will be thrown into the Nile. And in desperation... Her only other choice is to take him and put him in the Nile. And what was she thinking? What was Yechevet thinking? What is a three-month-old baby going to do in the Nile River in a, bas- in a basket? What? If it capsizes, he drowns. If an Egyptian comes and sees a basket, he's bathing there and sees a, bas- sees a child, what is he going to do? He'll turn it over. Even if nobody touches it, how long can a baby survive? You need milk. He could die from starvation, dehydration. What was Yechevet thinking? What she was obviously thinking is, I don't know, but instead of them taking him and throwing him into the water, maybe, 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 somebody will come and have compassion. So you can imagine the feeling of Amram now, this baby is taken and now put into the Nile. He wasn't thrown into the water, he was put into a basket. Kivan Once Yechevet took Moshe, and now put him in the river. What happens? Her father gave her a patch on her head. First he kissed her on her head. That's the contrast. He kissed her on her head. And now, Tvacha is like a, in Yiddish they used to call it a frask. Or a pachi. He clapped her on her head. And he said, Where's your prophecy? He is the same person who kissed her and said, 
Your prophecy was fulfilled. And now he said, where is it? That's why it says when Moshe was put into the basket, his sister stood far away to know what's going to happen. What does it mean to know what's going to happen? He says later, she had a prophecy. She knew that her father was wrong. She's right. She's the one who got him to remarry. She's the one who said, I'm going to have this baby. Her father kissed her and then he slapped her or or clapped her on her head. And now her father is like, there's no prophecy here. This is a disaster. This is a (laughs) collateral. That's why I got divorced. I knew what I was doing. Look what's going to happen now. They're going to suffer in grief because their baby was taken away. What did we need this for? Having a baby... With those stories during the Holocaust, people who had babies, it was, there were partisans in forests. It was, it was unfathomable pain. But Miriam has a different perspective. She stays there. She has this uh, intuition, this das, this perceptiveness. She wants to know what's going to happen. Of course, we know that she was right. Because Moshe didn't die in the basket. Batya, the daughter of Pari, came to bathe and saw a basket and opened it up, fetched it and opened it up and saw that there's a Jewish child there, Miyalda Yevrim, and he was weeping. And she decided to save him. She had compassion. And not only that, she decided to raise this boy as her child. And not only that, the Medrash says the reason her name is Batya, that was Hashem's name. Batya means Bat Yudke, the daughter of Hashem. So the Medrash says that Hashem was telling the daughter of Parai, you took my child and you made him your child. I will take Parai's daughter and make her my child. Bat-ya. The daughter of Hashem. You took a Jewish boy and you made him your boy. You raised him, you protected him. I'll take Parai's daughter and make her mine. In fact, Chazal says she's from the few people who went in live into Gan Eden. There's nine people in Jewish history Eliyahu Anavi says in Tanakh that he went up with his goof. He wasn't buried. Another, there's nine people, Rabbi Shoah ben Levi, Batya was one of them. That's how holy this person was. You never know where you're going to find greatness, you know. In such darkness, the daughter of a Stalin, the daughter of a, of a Hitler, the daughter of a, of a, of a Parai, of a, of a Haman, was capable of this. So that's where Miriam's prophecy was, was, was confirmed. So now we can appreciate how 80 years later, when they leave Egypt and they cross the sea and everyone is celebrating, there's one person who at the end says, now it's my time to sing. That one person who was there before everything, she's also there after. So all the men sang, beautiful, two million people, three million people, or whatever, how many people were there? It's not clear exactly the number. 600,000 males between 20 and 60, but you have children, you have senior citizens. But now Miriam comes... And she takes the Tupim and the Melchilas. Why was it Miriam who got this prophecy, my mother is going to have a child. My mother is going to have a child. You would think an adult, maybe Amram's Chavrusa, maybe another person, maybe Amram should have had the prophecy. It was Miriam who had the prophecy. She was five years old. Because the truth is that there's already a previous story about Miriam. Before this story, there's one more story about Miriam. And what's that story about Miriam? The Torah says that when Parai began to see the threat of the Jewish people increasing, what did he do? 
Pare called, Vatikrena Pare, Pare summoned the Mialdois Ha'ivriyos, the midwives, the Jewish midwives in Egypt who were helping the mothers give birth, and their names were Shifra and Pua. And he asked them and he instructed them when a male child is born, you make sure to figure out a way how to kill this child without anybody knowing, even without the mother knowing. You could say the child was a stillborn. That's what he asked. And the Torah says, and the language is extremely important. They feared God and they did not do what Paray said. This is the first story that's recorded in history of what we call today civil disobedience. This was unheard of those days. The king was the dictator. They called him a demigod, especially the pharaohs. He says to do something, you do it. Two women? And you understand how women were treated in ancient Egypt on a good day. And these are two Jewish women, Mialdus Ivrius. And he says, this is what you're going to do. You could let the girls live, the females live, the males you kill. These two women, Shifra and Pua, let those children live. And Pare summons them. And they could have been executed on the spot. And he says, why? Why do you do this? And they said... The Jewish women are different. They're like animals. They don't need midwives. By the time we come, the baby is out. We can't kill that. He wanted they should kill the baby in a way that the mother doesn't know, so it doesn't make a terroram. They said, we can. They do it all on their own. Just like animals don't have midwives, they also don't have midwives. <laughs> That's what they're at. Clever, clever women. So Pare says, okay, nothing to do with these women. And that's when Pare makes a new commandment. What's the new commandment? It's to his own people, not to the Jewish midwives. Throw into the Nile every baby. After that is the story of Amram getting divorced from his wife. So now the question is, who's Shifra and Pua? Devanezra, for example, says they weren't Jewish. They were Egyptian midwives. <laughs> they were midwives for the Jews. Mialdo Saivrius means midwives for Jews. But Rashi says no. And it's based on a Gemara in Saita Dafir Aleph. Rashi says the Mialdo Saivrius are Jews. Who's Shifra and Pua, famously? Yochevet and Miriam. Why is Miriam called Pua? So Rashi says in your source here, next source is Shmois Perik Aleph Pasuk Tesvav, Exodus chapter 1. Zu Miriam, Al Shem, Shepoya Umedaberes, Vohoigo Livlad, Kederech Hanoshim Hamafaisais Tina Kaboycha. The word Pua represents somebody who soothes, who appeases, who brings solace and comfort to somebody who's in a state of distress. So Rashi says, this is Miriam. Why is she called Pua? Why don't you give her the real name? And the answer is because Pua describes her characteristic. It's like you give somebody a name that describes their identity. What was Miriam's identity? Understand, the Torah could have said Miriam. The Torah says Pua because this was her. It's like you give somebody a name. It's like, you know, you say this person is Aziskite. I don't know. What did your mother call you? Aziskite. I don't want to say Shefala. I don't know if that always turns out well. Uh, <laughs> Right, but you have you have it's, it's a nickname, but it's a nickname that describes her character. She had that ability, he says, just like the mothers, the woman who knows how to comfort that child, the child who's sobbing, who's weeping, and make them feel comfortable, give them that sense of safety, of security, soothe them. That was Shifra's unique skill. In fact, some commentators say that Pua is actually related to poo 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 poo. Huh? Pu 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 pua. 
She actually, it was the, her way, the sounds she made to soothe these children. She was five years old. Yeah. Five-year-olds can do a lot, apparently. Right. Yeah, obviously. Obviously. Her mother's role as a midwife was a different role. Rashi says, Shifra al-shem She actually took care of the child. She made sure the child was fine. The child comes out bloody. and what All the elements of birth, she took care of the baby. What was Miriam's job? Miriam's job was emotional support. I guess emotional support for her mother, and more importantly, emotional support for the child. And she did this as a five-year-old child. If she's doing this as a five-year-old child, it tells you who this person is. So before anybody got divorced, she is fighting the king of Egypt, a five-year-old girl, is standing up to the tyrant of the generation to make sure that no Jewish baby is in danger. And to give every child who's growing up in exile, and she knows these children are going to have an easy life. In fact, Chazal says she was called Miriam from the word Mirirus, Marer, Mar, bitterness. Because during her birth, the bitterness of the Egyptian exile began. 86 last years of Golis Mitzrayim were the most bitter. Peivav, it's also the Begamatri of Elikim, Aleph, Lamed, Hey, Yud, Mem. Those are the last 86 years. Shem Elikim, Midas Hadin. The last 86 years were Miriam's life because she left Egypt when she was 86. So she's named Miriam. So she is the one who's giving hope to these people. In fact, Miriam has different meanings. Miriam means mar, like, like mar, it's bitter, mayim hamorim. We have by sight the mayim hamorim, the bitter waters. But the same letters also make up another word, meirim. What does meirim mean? To lift up, like laharim, truma. Truma is when you separate, you lift up, you make something holy. Miriam's, uni- why was this her name? Miriam's unique ability was to talk to people who feel like marim, they feel bitter, downtrodden, dejected, outcasts, and marim, and transform their bitterness into a sense of upliftedness. She gave each of these children the sense, you're going to be safe, you're going to be secure, you have people who love you, you have a support system. Pua is a big word. Pua means she's the one who gave them not just physical comfort, hold the babies and calm them down, but deep connection, deep attachment. They call today the four S's, you know, safe, secure, seen, and soothed. So that every, every, every child can have that sense of truma, I'm uplifted. So if Miriam as a five-year-old is ready to stand up to power, and she's not afraid, certainly she's not afraid of her father. <laughs> She had to stand up to much more difficult people. Not only that, she's the one who told her father, your gzeir is worse than Parai. That's a very harsh words. Parai was a vicious anti-Semite. But she said, I stood up to Parai. To you, I can't stand up. Now you understand it. To Parai, I stood up. There's something to do. We can outsmart him. There's a God in the world. The girls will survive. The boys will survive in our life. With you, I can't stand up to you. You're the God of Lord, are you? The tzaddik. Nobody can stand up to you. And Amram heard these words. And he went back and married Miriam. And married her mother, Yechavet. So that's why Miriam is the one who hears the prophecy. Your mother is going to give birth to the one who saves the Jewish people. Because her complete Messiris Nefesh, her complete dedication to make sure that every Jewish child is safe 
and to make sure that the Jewish people don't give up hope on their future and they don't stop building families and building homes and having children just because of the difficulties and challenges. She is the one who takes it on her shoulders. She is the one who stands up to City Hall and what type of City Hall this was. This was no democratic City Hall. This was a paroi. She's the one who stands up to Roe versus Wade in all of its manifestations. She doesn't have any moral ambiguity about the preciousness of life, about the sacredness of life. She doesn't care who says it. And she'll do what she has to do, including her own father, who's the God Ador. You would think a five-year-old girl should say, my tati's the God Ador. Maybe be quiet. He knows what he's doing. But Miriam felt in her bones that this was wrong. Her father was a God Ador, but there was a lot of fear. You can't blame him. He was frightened. And then when her father slaps, kisses her on her head, she feels good. But that's not what's giving her her confidence, because then when her father slapped her on her head, she would have said, you know, my father is right. She doesn't stop. Miriam has that ability, that vision, that transcends anybody else's vision. She has that sense of, we spoke about this once, Parshish Chukas in a class. She has that sense of, of, of faith, of emuna, of conviction, and of commitment that transcends everyone. In fact, Chazal say that for 40 years, the water came b'schus of Miriam. Miriam also has the letters Mayim. And the first time the Jews encounter water after Kriyas Yamsuf, it's bitter water. And Moshe sweetens the water. And the next time the water comes because of Miriam. It's called the well of Miriam. Why Miriam? So Chazal say in Tainus it came in her merit. What's the uniqueness of water? Water, doesn't perform, water is not the food that gives sustenance to the body. But water is critical. Because what water does is it transports and it allows the food to be able to reach every element of the body. The Rambam says the halach is when it comes to Erevin, you need food. Erev chatseris, bakol ma'arvin, chutzmin ha'mayim v'hamelach. So the Rambam writes in Perisham Mishnah that mayim is not considered food. In fact, water is also tasteless. If you make a bracha on water and you're not thirsty, you don't make a blessing. It's not like orange juice, apple juice. If you're thirsty, you make a bracha shakal name. It's a very interesting halacha by water. That's why you have to be careful when you drink water, you're going to make a bracha, make sure you're thirsty. I know I'm thirsty, so I'm fine. <laughs> I made a bracha earlier. <laughs> right, same reason. In other words, because it has to be hana. And water is considered tasteless. Now, when you're thirsty, there's nothing as delicious as water, you know that. <laughs> if you've been parched for a few hours in a hot sun and somebody gives you a cold cup of water, you can make a bracha. It's very geschmack. But the geschmack comes because I'm thirsty. Water itself is not considered a food and not something that has kvayachal, a, a, a color or a flavor. But yet, 70% of the body is made up of water. And 71% of our planet is water. And 90% of our blood is water. Blood is what carries the oxygen throughout the entire body. And 90% of our blood is water. 90% of the blood cell is water. So the water is responsible to transport the oxygen and the nutrients to every single cell of the body to allow us to live. That's physically, but spiritually it's the same thing. Sometimes a person can have a muna, can have conviction, but the muna is in the brain. It's deep in the heart. That's not Miriam. Miriam is the Mayan. She is the one who takes it and transports it. It should become visceral. It should become real. It should become authentic. You know, they once had a sign in a store in Borough Park the dollar says, in God we trust. Everyone else pays cash. 
Or another one, God made the world in six days. Since then, everything was made in China. But our dollar, our green dollar, let's hope they don't eliminate this one. In God we trust. There's a difference between belief and trust. The word trust in Hebrew is betach, bitachon. The word betach means what? Betach. Insurance is called bitachon, bituach. <laughs> but it comes from the word betach. Right? Uh, uh, David HaMelech says, Bezois ani boiteach. I don't know. Bitcoin, okay. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> but what is the, what's the idea of trust? Trust is, I trust you. I trust you. It's reality. That was the power of Miriam. So therefore, when Moshe was taken to the river, she didn't lose it. Her father couldn't take it anymore. Her father was distraught. I understand, we understand her father. Her father was distraught. But Miriam had that prophecy that told her, I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't have to know how it's going to work out. I don't have to wrap my brain around every event in my life. Some things I can understand, but I don't have to. Not because I don't want to use my brain, not because I'm intellectually lazy, not because we don't want to use our minds. Minds are blessings, they should be used to their ultimate ability, but because reality can't always be reduced to that which my brain can wrap itself around. It can't. And if I force reality into my brain, I'm detaching myself from the grandness of reality. You understand what I'm saying, everybody? This is important. <laughs> yes. I can't say it exactly because I don't remember what I said. It was a flow, but I'll try to say it. <laughs> when we try to force reality into our brain, we're actually detaching from reality because some realities are beyond. They're grand. They're, they're, they're mysterious. They're infinite. So to force it into my intellectual, uh, my intellectual boxes is detaching me from the reality of it. And it's a mistake we often make. We want to understand things because if I understand it, I have more control I can manipulate it. I can predict it. It's, it feels like I'll be more connected to my life. It's the other way around. I become more disconnected because it's actually a reality that transcends my brain. And that's Miriam, Meirim, it's Muram. It's, it's, it's beyond. It's uplifted. There's a say from Mari Vashemesh. It's a Hasidic commentary for Reb Kleinem Kalman Halevi Epstein. He was a student of the Noim Ali Melech. So he says that when... Uh, it's an unbelievable interpretation. When Yaakov married Leah instead of Rachel... So he came to his father in the Lovin and he said, Lama Rimi Sonny, why did you deceive me? You said, I worked seven years for Rachel. So he says, that's on a literal level. But on a deeper level, the word Rimi Sonny is like the word Miriam, Meirim, Truma. Lama Rimi Sonny, why did you uplift me? And Leah was on a much deeper level than Rachel. So Yaakov says, I don't know that I'm ready for Leah. You're challenging me to heights that transcend me. Because Leah comes from Alma de Eskasi, Rachel comes from Alma de Eskasi. We once spoke about the difference of Leah and Rachel. Rachel is the revealed world, Leah is the concealed world. So Leah was much, much more hidden than Rachel. And on a much higher madrega. So Yaakov says, Now of course, Levi is one of the children of Leah. And Miriam comes from Leah because Miriam comes from, from, from Amram who was, uh, who was a grandson of, of and Yocheved, who they, were, they came from Levi. Levi was the third son of Leah. So the ability to be able to uplift and to uplift our mind, to uplift our mind to the reality of infinity 
that for Miriam was real and it was visceral. It was like water. Again, the water doesn't give me the food, but the water takes it and brings it to every cell, to every tissue, to every organ, to every bone, to every limb. The Gemara says when you eat and you don't drink water, it's not good. We know you. Yes, you can ask. Yeah, you know, I want to open myself up to it, not force it into my constructs. Some realities are, are challenging me and they're really elevating me to go beyond my comfort zone. Don't force it. You know, don't, don't, uh, you know, don't force the square into the circle. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about within ourselves. Sometimes I just want to be open to the awe. I want to be open in awe. To, I think they say for Mark Twain that when God created the Grand Canyon, he didn't create the adjectives with which to describe them. With which to describe it. <laughs> you understand? I don't have to create adjectives to describe that which can't be described. I don't have to. I could just be mesmerized by reality instead of try to define it on my terms. It's not easy for us because we, especially Ashkenazic male Jews, like to control things through our minds. You know what I mean? We like to be cerebral. You come from Ashkenazic descent and you're married to an Ashkenazi male? Okay. You want to know if Amram was a Gadol how can he make such an error? Yeah, I mean, like, you, you think about Avram Avinu, and, and he went and he did a Kedas Yitzvah, and he just, like, did it blindly, he followed Hashem, and it didn't make any sense, right, because he didn't have any children. Right. It's a great question. So I would assume, I don't, I'm not sure, but I would assume the answer is that Amram, from his perspective, felt he's doing the responsible thing. If Hashem would have told him something and he defied it, that would be a challenge. But Amram felt he's the God Lador, he has to take responsibility. This is what makes sense logically. And when there's no mitzvah, I have to use my logic. And in that sense, Amram was acting in a very respectful and responsible way as the God Lada. And yet, Miriam, <laughs> Miriam was connected to something even deeper than that. Yeah. It's not a contradiction. You're saying Amram, it says Amram was one of the four people who died. They died only because they ate Sadas, only because of the snake, not because of sin. You're right. It's, I, don't, I would not define this as a sin. The same Chazal call him the God Hadar. And Miriam called him a tzaddik. Why'd she call him a tzaddik? She said, you're worse than Parai. That's not a tzaddik. She didn't mean you're worse than Parai, chas v'shalom. She meant your, your edict is worse than Parai. But she called him a tzaddik. She said, the problem with your decree is that you're a tzaddik. And there's no way to fight it. Because <laughs> actually you're a tzaddik. You're a good man. And your decree is going to last. Oh no, Russia makes a decree. It's rooted in something that doesn't have real power. It's superficial, even if it's evil and sinister. But you're a tzaddik. Your decree has power. So you see in the very same story, this nuanced. You understand what I'm saying? It's important. You know, it's, it's not black and white. It's nuanced. He, was the, he stays the God of Ladar, and he died without sin. I was once giving a lecture, so somebody stood up and said, why is it that in the Bible, it was a secular audience in England, in Great Britain. Said, why is it in the Bible... All the decisions are made by men. And all the stories are about men, 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 men. All very patriarchal. What about the women? So everybody, it was like 2,000 people. It was a, some big conference years ago. It was, you could, you could uh, cut the silence with a knife, you know. It was electricity in the air. 
So I said, first of all, meet my mother, meet my mother-in-law, meet my wife. That's first of all. But second, I don't know which Bible you're reading. I don't know which Bible you're reading. I'll t- maybe the New Testament, that's the problem. But I'll tell you about the Bible that I read. And you'll notice that every big decision that affects history is made by women. For good and not for good. Who decided that Adam should eat from the tree of knowledge? Not him. He was sleeping. Or whatever he was doing. He was dreaming. His wife told him what to eat. He ate it. And you know what? It still happens till today. Right? Women tell their husbands what to eat. And at least when you're looking, he follows. That's why there's a mechitza. So they should be able to cheat on the other side of the bar mitzvah, the chasana. Why do you think there's a mechitza? Who decided that Yaakov should get the blessings, not Esau? That was a big, big historic decision. Rivka, not Yitzchak. Who decided that Yishmael shouldn't stay in the home? Very big. These are historical decisions. These are historic decisions that molded history. It wasn't Avram. It was Sarah. Avram didn't want. Hashem told him, you listen to Sarah. Who decided that Yaakov is going to marry Leah, not Rachel? Lovin planned it, but if the two sisters weren't in cahoots, it never would have happened. Rachel and Leah decided it together. And who decided, for example, that Yehuda should be with Tamar, responsible for all Malchei Beis David till Mashiach who? Tamar! She's the one. She's the one who did it all. Yehuda was completely passive. He didn't know what he's doing. And who decided that Yosef gets thrown into prison from where he becomes the viceroy of Egypt and saves the whole world from hunger? The wife of Petiphar. And who decides that Paroi's decree in Egypt to kill every Jewish baby should not be executed? Two women, Shifra and Pua. Now we know one of them was a five-year-old girl. And who decided that Moshe should be retrieved from the river? Another woman, Basia, the daughter of Egypt, the daughter of Para. So I told this person, I said, listen, with all due respect, I don't know which Bible you're reading, but if you read my Bible, you'll see the small decisions are made by men. The big decisions are made by women. I said, I'm not telling you Medrashim, Gemaris, Rashis, Rambans, Klayakos, this is all right there in Scripture. I did not invent any of this. This is not commentators and justifications and rationalizations from men giving classes. This is pure text. Chava, Rivka, Rachel, Leah, Tamar, Potiphar's wife, Pare's daughter, Shifra, Pua. It's all, it's all right there. But, but there's an emiss to it. There's an interesting Klayakar. I may have told this to you once. It's in next week's parsha. this week in Eretz Yisrael. It starts off, Hashem told Moshe, Shlach lecha. Anoshim, Vyasuras Eretz Kanan. Send to you men and let them scout. What does it mean send to you men? So Rashi says, You're doing it. I'm not telling you to do it. I'm not getting involved in this. It's a very strange expression. Send to you men. You don't send men to you. You send men from you. You send them out on a mission. So the Klayaka writes, and the Klayaka lived in the 1500s in Prague. He did not live in 2022, the Klayaka. And he was not afraid of cancel culture. The Klayakar says, Shlach lecha anashim. Lecha. If you listen to me, only send women. Do not send men. They're going to ruin it. When it comes to such types of missions where you can get scared, send women. That's what the Klayakar writes. You can look it up. (laughs) 
You don't want? Fine. You want to send men, sepastinish, to send women, you think whatever? Fine. But remember, my advice is, send 12 women, not men. <laughs> That's what he writes. I saw this clay a few years ago. I'm like, whoops. That got to go into the files. Okay. So now, so Miriam represented that ability of Miriam to lift people up. She understood the pain of these children. And she was the ultimate poor. So now you understand that when she takes out the tambourines, when she takes out the drums, it's really what she's been doing for 86 years. She was doing it when she was five years old. She was using her mouth, she was using her heart, she was using her musical instruments, or whatever instrument she was using, to be able to cheer up people, to be able to let them sing, even when there was no reason to sing. That's why after everything is over, one person stands up, the one who did not stop clinging to faith, the one who did not stop inspiring every new child that was born, and his or her mother, and saying, we may not know how it's going to work out, but it's going to work out. And you can trust it. There is meaning here. There is destiny. There is purpose. God did not forget you. You're not abandoned. And that your soul is not in exile, even if your body is. You're not a victim. You're an ambassador. That ability, that empowerment, that was Miriam's unique mission. And you'll see in Parshish Chukas, the moment she passes away, the next scene is, There was no water. That's in a few weeks from now. Parshas Chukas, Miriam passes away, the 40th year, 40 years later, and it's on the 10th of Nisan, and the next scene is, There was no water. And that's the whole story with the rock. Hashem telling Moshe to speak to the rock, and Moshe hits the rock. It could only happen after Miriam passes away. Because the water, she was the Mayim, Miriam, Mayim. And from Mar, she made Mayim. So she takes out the tambourines, because she always did that. But now she can do it in the open. The Egyptians have drowned. Parai is gone. The tyranny has been eliminated. The Jewish people are emancipated. So Miriam is the one who celebrates in a unique way, like nobody else. She was there before Moshe was born. So after Kriyas Yamsov, she says the Shira. And all the women, it says, all the women went out. Vatate, the, the expression in Chumash, it's one of those unique expressions that stays with you. After Miriam takes out the tambourines, it says, Miriam, the prophet, the sister of Aaron. Why is she called the sister of Aaron? Because her prophecy began before Moshe was born. Why is it said here 86 years later? Because this is the moment she takes out the drums and she is truly vindicated. Her nachas at that moment, her, her gratitude to the Rebbeinu Shalom, her simcha was different than everybody. It was on a different level. You know, if I could use it in these words, sometimes a mother watches her child being born and she watches her child struggle if he's struggling or she's struggling, and she's there, and she's there in a way that nobody even knows how deeply she's connected. And then years, years later, when things work out in a way that nobody imagined, nobody expected, her sense of, of inner satisfaction, contentment, and more important, humility and gratitude is unparalleled. Because she was there, you know, she was there through thick and thin she was always the tambourine. She always gave that ability for people to sing. 
says, All the women went out after her. In other words, Miriam. Remember, who's the first one who went after her? Her father, Vayelech. The Gemara says he followed her, and now all the women are following her. And it represents the paradigm of Miriam. It says in Svarim, all the women of Klal Yisrael throughout all of history, Vatetzena, follow Miriam. As she says, Shiru Lashem So now come back to Parshas Shlach. Parshas Baloischa, I'm already confused there. In Israel is Parshas Shlach. Come back to Parshas Baloischa. Miriam, whose entire life was so deeply dedicated to make sure that the Jewish family remains intact. Miriam, who sacrificed everything to make sure that every child who was born is safe. Miriam, who fought against Pare and Lahavdil, her father, to make sure that no Jewish child who could be born, that light should never be eliminated. She sees the infinite light in every child and therefore will do anything to help facilitate that process and when she hears that her brother Moshe, who she is the one who brought to the world because of that commitment, and she hears that Moshe and Tzipor are not being together as a husband and a wife, even if physically they are in the same house, you understand how it touches Miriam deeper than anybody else. Huh? It's her trauma. <laughs> this triggers, I don't know if the word is right, but I'll use the word trigger. The big word today, right? In Hebrew, they say trigger, trigger. Tesh resh I wonder where they got it from. But the, <laughs> this, this touches Miriam in a very profound way. And in her refinement, she speaks about it to her other brother, Aaron, who's the Kain Gadol. And that's why the Torah emphasizes, as Rashi says, the beauty, Isha HaKushis of Tzipayra. Because children, even though every child has their own soul, but the beauty, physical and spiritual and emotional beauty of a mother and a father affect a child deeply. So children who are born from a mother like Tzipira and a father like Moshe Rabbeinu carry the light of Moshe and Tzipira in this world. Now you understand if Tzipira was Moshe's soulmate, you could understand who Tzipira was. If Tzipira was the one who created a home for Moshe Rabbeinu, and even after the story, Tzipayra and Moshe, according to most opinions, were together. And when Moshe came back from being who Moshe was, Tzipayra was the one who created those few private moments for him if they existed. So Miriam says, imagine the child that could come from Moshe and Tzipayra. And when she hears it's not being implemented, she is the one who speaks up. This was actually a culmination and a manifestation of who Miriam is. Now, comes the Das Kenim and he says something fascinating. It's exactly what Hashem is telling Moshe. Moshe comes to Hashem, he hears that Miriam is a leper because she spoke about him, and he says five words. Kale na refanala, please heal her. Give some explanation. And it comes to the Cheta Egel, the Jews, Moshe gives a long sermon to God why he should forgive. The Ovis and Mechani Namasifricha and the Egyptians are gonna make fun of you. By the Miraglim, Moshe gives a long sermon why God should forgive. Long, powerful presentations. With Miriam, Kale Narifan Allah. It was obvious 
you're giving Miriam leprosy, what? Because she spoke about me and my marriage and me not having children. How was I born? <laughs> the great Moshe, the greatest prophet, how did I come to the world? All because of Miriam. And how did I even reach this level of prophecy to talk face to face with God? The Pasuk says that Miriam ran over to Batya, to the, the, the Egyptian, and said, should I find you a Jewish wet nurse? And she said, yeah, and that's when she brought Moshe's mother to nurse him. So Rashi says, why? Because Batya gave him to a bunch of Egyptian wet nurses, and she, he wouldn't nurse. Why not? Because Pesha Asid Ladabri Mashchina, the mouth that's going to speak to the Shechina, didn't want to nurse from their milk. So who is the one who got him the Jewish mother to nurse him? Miriam. She is the one who allowed his mouth to remain pure and holy and speak to the Shechina. She is the one who allowed him to become this prophet on this level. So all Moshe could say to Hashem, heal Miriam. We all know who Miriam is. I'm here because of her. My prophecy is here because of her. Even if Miriam made this error, that she underestimated the level of Moshe Rabbeinu's prophecy, and she should have spoken to him directly, and say, Moshe, let me take you out. <laughs> you know how an older sister does it? Take out Moshe. I don't know if there was a, a Starbucks or a Havajava kosher in the area, and if Moshe would feel comfortable there. But she could have found a place and sit down with Moshe and say, listen, Moshe, you know, I'm your fan. I, <laughs> I'm the one who fought for you like nobody else. What's going on? Okay, she went to Aaron. She underestimated Moshe. She should have understood. Fine. But where was Miriam coming from? Everything, like we spoke about Amram, he was a god Ladar. So Moshe just has to say, Kale nor refan Allah, please heal her. And then Hashem says these faithful words, and now we'll see what they mean. If her father would have spat in her face, her father's not alive. Father spitting? No, he was referring to something. Something happened with her father. He didn't physically spit in her face, but it's an expression. If her father got upset with her, her father clapped her on her head. It happened. And she felt sikolim. She quarantined for seven days. And I want you should see it in the Das Kenim Abali It's a commentary on the Chumashir. He says, the second to the last source. Amram wasn't alive. What are you talking about? Her father spitting at her. Why would he spit at her? And he wasn't alive. What do we have to talk about a father in If your father, imagine if somebody lost a father, you tell them, if your father was here and he would have spit at you, why say this? Okay, so you could say he means if he was alive. Not that he's doing it now. When Moshe was born, her father did, did rebuke her. When he was put into the river, he went, he clapped her, he pounded on her head, he banged her on her head and he said, where is your prophecy? That's painful. <laughs> that was painful for Miriam. That was words of very profound rejection, you know. In, in simple English, it's like, you duped us. I remarried. I had a baby because of you. I believed you. The baby was born. Everything was amazing. I kissed you on your head. And now we're losing this child. This was his expression of terrible, terrible grief. And he let it out at this six-year-old girl. 
She would have felt rejected seven days. And he says, Ah! It says, Miriam stood far. Why far? Far from her father. She left the house. She didn't feel comfortable in her father's presence. She stood from her father. So just like a Mitzayra, who also stands far, he goes far away, seven days, here also it should be seven days. It says that the Mitzayra, even after the symptoms are healed, the Mitzayra, for seven days, is out of the tent. Even after the symptoms are healed. So even though Miriam's symptoms were healed, and it looks like it happened right away, so come right back. She should be seven days just like a Mitzayra. That's the Meirachaik. By her father, she was also Meirachaik. She wasn't a leper, but her father rejected her. So that was Sikolim Shivas Yomim, seven days away. So now also seven days. Why bring up that story? What's the connection? That happened 80, 80, uh, 85, 80, she was 86, 80 years ago. <laughs> 80 years ago. Now I know God remembers what happened 80 years ago. But her father spinning in her face. What's the point? He finishes off. He says, from this Pasuk, Chazal learned in Perik Mayat Katan that Nizifa is called Shivas Yaman. There's different levels of, in, in Halacha, where you show somebody a sense of displeasure. So there's a Cheirim Chas V'Shalem, there's a Nidu, there's something called Nizifa. Nizifa is the lowest level. It's rebuke. And it lasts for seven days. That's Nizifa. But the truth is, it's exactly the point. Why did her father get upset at her? Why did her father get upset at her? What did he get upset about? You're responsible for this child who's going to die now. He's going to drown in this river. He's going to capsize. That's why your father spat. That's why your father banged her on her head. Hashem says, it's exactly what's happening now. These words bring out who Miriam was. It's exactly what she's doing now, Moshe. What's bothering her is she was afraid that you're going to be lost. And now she's afraid that your future is going to be lost. It's the same thing. Why was he upset? Because Miriam was fighting for the child as she was fighting for all the children. She was poor. She got Amram married back. Amram gave up because Moshe was about, he felt Moshe was about to die. And that's why he rebuked her. In that case, his rebuke was wrong. Miriam was absolutely right. In this case, Moshe had a commandment from Hashem. Hashem knew what he was doing. Hashem agreed. But the soul of it, the principle of it was exactly the same. And I want to show you something very interesting, how things work. The word yorek, yorek, if you look at English translation, it's spit, like yorek, chtu. Yorek, yorek, If you look in Targum Unculus, if you look in Targum Unculus, that's the Unculus translation, this is the end of the second base Amigdush. He says, what's yorek, yorek? He doesn't say if her father would spit at her. If her father would chastise her. Like Nizifas, like I scream at somebody or yell at somebody or rebuke somebody. 
Minzaf Nozivba. That's Unculus. One second, that's not what it says. It says he spat at her. <laughs> he changes the translation. He rebuked, he didn't spit. He's always literal. The Unculus tries to be literal whenever he can. Over here he felt he can't be literal. Then you look at Rashi. Rashi is a thousand years after Targum Unculus. He changes it. He says, Rashi says, Avia hera laponim zayafais. He just showed her a he showed her a dejected face. He didn't say anything. The Pasik says spat. Tagamunkala says rebuked. And Rashi says he just showed, showed a different face. What happened? Every thousand years they're giving a different commentary. <laughs> so there's a Belzachasid who lives there. And he told me that he has a friend who's an educator. He's a pedagogue in Israel. And he went into the Belzer Rebbe. He's a Belzer Chassid. So he went into the Belzer Rebbe, Shlita, and he said, you know, I don't understand what's happening in Chinuch. It used to be, yeah, a kid who did misbehaved. Frask, 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 frask. Everybody had one diagnosis. I don't know, when I was in school, every kid got the same diagnosis. It was called a patch, and another patch, another patch. Was everybody cured? I'm not sure. Maybe 40%, maybe 30%, maybe 2%, maybe 50%. He says, what happened now with these new methods and <laughs> an attachment and attentiveness? What's going on? Why can't we just follow the Messiah and do things like they were done 100 years ago in all of the manifestations? So the Belzer Rebbe said, come, I'll show you in Chumash. <laughs> it says in Parshas Baloischa, her father would spit in her face. A thousand years later, Targum Munkula says, if he rebuked her. A thousand years later, Rashi says, if, her fa- if his face shows a demeanor of displeasure. And he says, and now it's a thousand years after Rashi. <laughs> it's the next thousand years. Today, you have to be careful even with your facial features. That's what we know today. You have to be careful with your facial Because kids are so sensitive, my child feels that he's a burden. If you could just get out of my life, get out of my dining room, get out of my office, you're a burden. I don't have to say anything. It's an energy. It's a, fa- it's, a, it's a facial expression, even if it's a very subtle facial expression. You have to be careful. Because the, but it's not a change. It's tuning into who the person is. Because the point of rebuking is not to destroy a child. The point of spitting is not to throw you out of my life. That's where the mistake is. The point is to help a person, to build them, to repair. So you always have to remember what your objective is. And now I ask, how will I be able to achieve that objective best? When you understand that, it's not a change. It may be a change in words or methods, but not in core, not in the essence. So this is what he explained to this educator. So what is the Das Kenim telling us? that Miriam felt that she should stay far away for seven days. This happened. Avia Yorick, Yorick, it happened. You know why it happened? Because this is exactly what she wanted now is what she wanted then. It hurts her terribly that Moshe and Sipira will not have another child, especially knowing who Moshe is, especially knowing who Sipira is. Sipira is so with such profound beauty. What type of child will she give birth to? This is what's bothering Miriam. And this would be true about any Jewish child. Pua was there for every child. Certainly a child of Moshe Rabbeinu. Elamai, she underestimated the Nevuah of Moshe Rabbeinu. The fact that Moshe Rabbeinu's status, status was different. 
And this explains something else that's astounding. What happens? Everybody waits for her seven days. Who's everybody? It's not five people. It's the Mishkan. It's the Aaron. The Aaron is the Ark of the Shekhinah. Remember in the Shekhinah, the Shekhinah is the one that guided everybody. Alpi Hashem Yisu, Alpi Hashem Yachinu. The whole the beginning of Parshas Balaisa speaks about there was a cloud on the Mishkan. During the day, there was a fire, pillar of fire on the Mishkan. During the night, when the Jews had to travel, the cloud became a pillar and it went forward. And then when the cloud rested, they knew it's time to dwell. So when you say they waited for her, it wasn't, you know, uh, three Hevra waited for her. The Rebbeinah Shalolim waited, Moshe waited, Aaron waited, and every Jew waited. There was no traveling until she finishes her period of being quarantined and she comes back. Not to delay her aggravation even by a day. Why? Why? It's not like her life would be in danger. She would be quarantined. Everybody waited. You're talking about the whole Klal Yisrael. The whole Klal Yisrael. And Rashi says this was Midah Keneged Midah. Because she waited for Moshe Rabbeinu when he was a little kid. So now everybody waited for her. What's the connection? And she waited for Moshe Rabbeinu a few hours. Here it's seven days. But now we understand over there was also seven days. Because when her father rejected her, Seven days. So now everybody waited seven days. Why now? Because what happened now was a replica, was a continuation. It was Miriam's incessant passion and faith and commitment in the infinite holiness of every child and in the gift of every child and wanting to fill the world with the light of every Jewish child, especially the light of Moshe Rabbeinu. This is what they all waited for seven days, just like she waited seven days because she disagreed with her father and she believed in this child. That's the Shiva Syamim. She cared for every child. This was the time that everybody paid tribute to Miriam. Now you would think she's a leper. She spoke Lashon Hara about Moshe. This was her, her lowest moment. Exactly. In her lowest moment, we see who she was. Because even if her words about Moshe on her level, relative to her level, were inappropriate... But everybody stopped. Everybody. This is when they all paid tribute to that little girl who was now not a little girl anymore. She was an 86-year-old Rebetzin who was there for every child, who fought Parai, who even had to stand up to her father, who was the Pua of Klal Yisrael, who gave the water to them, who taught them how to dance and sing in exile and how to dance and sing after Kriyas Yamsuf. So now everybody, men, women, children, old and young, you had probably three, four, five, maybe more million people because all the converts, all the Eder, whoever was there, everybody waited for Miriam and the Shechina and the Mishkan and the Aaron, just like she waited for Moshe. Because this is actually what God was saying is the other part of the story. It's the soul of the story. It's what Miriam was experiencing and Miriam was feeling. And in that sense, Miriam's aggravation remains a timeless lesson. Comes the Chsam Seifer, your last source, and says, Chsam Seifer, Parshas Kiseitze, Zachar Eis Asher Asa Hashem Miriam. Remember what Hashem did for Miriam. You remember my question at the beginning of the class? Say, remember not to speak Lashon Hara, beautiful thing. We should remember not to speak Lashon Hara. No, remember what God did for Miriam. Says, I'm saying, for Lefiani is Daiti. My humble opinion is this. 
Zachar es hashrasa Hashem alakechel Miriam is not remember that God punished Miriam with leprosy. Remember what Hashem did for Miriam. Kavod v'toyval sheimtina al Moshe Shah himtina wale Yisrael zayin yamim. Remember what God did for Miriam after she became a leper. That's what you should remember. Remember how everybody stopped seven days. Everybody, including the Oren and the Shechina, because of what she did for that little baby child. On one level, she waited one hour. And now 80 years later, four million people are waiting seven days. When she stood there waiting one hour, nobody was there. There was no video camera. It didn't go out on WhatsApp. She didn't photograph herself and put it out. Look where I am. (laughs) Right? She didn't do it. (laughs) Nobody knew the story. Moshe didn't know the story. He was three months old. Batya knew the story because she met her afterwards. But 80 years later, nobody moved because of that. That's what you should remember about Miriam. Understand that protecting a child in a river, a child that everybody else gave up on, that was not futile. That is not forgotten. All of the Jewish people waited for this woman 80 years later, even though her life was not in danger. And remember further as we explain, why did she wait there for Moshe? Her father rejected her. Her father got upset at her. And here again, they're waiting to honor her Messiris Nefesh. Her commitment, her love for every single child without exception. And her commitment that when that child weeps, she's the poor. To give that child comfort, to give that child hope, to give that child solace. Even at this moment, everybody is going to wait. Wait for Miriam to honor that endless passion and faith that she bequeathed for eternity to all of the Jewish men and, of course, all of the Jewish women to this very day. Have a wonderful week. No, the Chesam Seifer's point, Chesam Seifer is probably bothered by a few big questions. He asks that earlier. Chesam Seifer asks the question, Zachar is Hashem Asa Hashem Alekechel Miriam, right? Remember what Hashem did to Miriam. That's not the point. It's not what Hashem did to Miriam. It's what Miriam did to Moshe. <laughs> yeah, Hashem punished Miriam with leprosy. But the main thing is, remember what Miriam did. Remember the prohibition of Lashon Hara. That's what you have to remember. Why, why do we focus on Hashem? The focus, the focus shouldn't be the punishment. The focus should be the sin. Don't do the sin. That's number one. Number two, on the way out of Egypt. Why is that relevant? First of all, it wasn't when they left Egypt. It was more than a year after they left Egypt. Yes, it was on the journey out of Mitzrayim. But why is that relevant here? So the Samsefer's explanation is, that it's not talking about the gossip, and it's not talking about the leprosy. It's talking about what Hashem did for Miriam, not what, Miriam, what Hashem did for Miriam, that he made sure that Kalal Yisrael waits seven days to honor Miriam. She protected Moshe for an hour, and now everybody honored her and, and, and respected her. And, and, and that's the whole point that we're making here in the Shir. It gives much more depth to the Samsoifer, because what we're saying basically is that Miriam was the one who fought that Amram should come back to Yecheved. So 40 years later, so 80 years later, she's fighting that Moshe should come back to Tzipor. Exactly the same thing. You get it? Yeah. Now, I'll just add something else I forgot to say. Why now? 
It's not just because he separated from her. It's not just because he she heard about it. Elder and Medan prophesied that Moshe is going to die and Yeshua is going to take the Jews in Tertisra. Oi, if Moshe is going to die, this may be the last opportunity to be able to have a child for Moshe and Sipira. But the point is, Miriam is the one who wants Amram and Yechevet back together. She wants to build Klal Yisrael. Every child is infinitely precious, and she wants Moshe and Sipira back together. So it, it works out amazingly well, because here you see Miriam. She will not rest until her father and mother come back together. And she will not rest until Moshe and Sipira come back together. The mistake was, the Rambam explains at the end of Hilchas Tumas Suraz, that's what Hashem was telling you, that Moshe's prophecy is completely of a different magnitude. And in his case, he had to abstain from these intimate relations. But it, it also brings out the, the righteousness of Miriam. And that's the idea. When Miriam was, was rejected from her father seven days there, she completely didn't do anything wrong. In fact, she was in the right. So she was seven days away from her father. Now they made up for it. Now everybody waited seven days for her. Seven days she was alone, and now everybody waited for her as she was quarantined. The whole crowd was waiting for looking at her, respecting her, honoring her. Nobody's moving without you. You're part of us. You're our leader. You're our conscience. You're the one who gave this nation hope. And when Hashem brings up this story, he's really explaining to Moshe Rabbeinu, don't think your sister is just a regular Mitzayra who spoke Lashon Hara. No, it's the same thing that happened then. That time she was the prophet. She was the one who understood what the real Ratzon Hashem is. She's the one who fought for Klal Yisrael. She's the one who wanted to make sure that Amram and Yechev come back together. That's why her father spat in her face. And by the way, there's a Medrash where it actually says that at that time when the Gullahs became so powerful, he spat. It's Medrash Shechet Tev. I'll put it in the source sheets. Medrash Shechet Tev in Mishle. It says that he actually spat. So it's actually a real story. It's not just he rebuked her. It's not just he clapped her on the head. He actually spat because the Egyptian exile became so powerful. He said, where is, where is your nevuah? And she did not stop. So she was actually com- completely in the red. So Hashem is telling Moshe, even though here, she, yes, she was punished. She became a Mitzvah. But don't think it's just a punishment for somebody who's just gossiping. Chas v'shalom. Miriam is trying to build Klal Yisrael. Moshe may, may pass away soon. And she wants Moshe and Zipporah to come back together. And she's hoping that Moshe and Zipporah can bring to the world another, yet another Jewish child or Jewish children that will create the eternal legacy of Moshe Rabbeinu in this world. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.